Good afternoon. Happy Good Friday to everybody out there. This is Joe Cunningham here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPL. It is an honor to be with y'all on this Good Friday, my first Good Friday of the Joe Cunningham Show, hopefully the first of many. I want to start <clears throat> kind of picking up where I left off on Wednesday. Wednesday was kind of a heavy show, and I'm sorry, but it was a it's it was a very um, it was a very traumatizing day. On Wednesday, you have a shooter, Frank James, who opens fire in a subway car after uh, unleashing a smoke bomb and smoking out, shooting at, and generally terrorizing the people in a New York subway. A few months back, you had a guy in his car drive through a Christmas parade, injuring dozens and killing, I think, about five. Currently in Ukraine, acts of genocide, terror, indiscriminate looting, raping and pillaging, and other horrors of war are being inflicted on a people who have done nothing to deserve it. It is the greed of a larger, more powerful nation and is subjecting Ukrainians to horrific conditions. A few years ago, a kid shot up his school in Florida. We're still feeling the reverberations of that one. It's one of the worst shootings of that type in our nation's history, but they're becoming a little more frequent. We're seeing more of these school shootings. It won't be long before we see another. A man walked up to a baseball field in Washington, D.C. and opened fire on Republican politicians. Another man, before that, approached the Family Research Center in Georgia with the intent of killing people inside and shoving Chick-fil-A sandwiches in their mouths afterwards. In New York, and the man who drove his car through a parade in Tennessee a little digging discovered that those two men were black nationalists who had avowed some pretty racist uh, ideologies against white people. In Ukraine, like I said, the greed of a larger nation and an army that wants to wield its power and terror over the population it's invading. Not too long ago, a black man died while a police officer held his knee over the man's throat as he begged for him to stop, that he couldn't breathe. Elsewhere, two men ambushed and killed a black man in Georgia. The man who shot up the baseball field in Washington, D.C., the man who tried to assassinate the folks at the Family Research Center, were leftists, avowed leftists. The man who tried to assassinate Gabby Giffords at a, at, a, at, a, at a press event was a man who was guided by far-left socialist ideology. And there have been some people with some far-right ideologies that have pushed for some pretty extreme things and have done some pretty extreme things. I'm not just blaming this on one side or another. Each and every time one of these things happens, we try to rationalize and try to find an ideology or political belief or something that can help explain why this person did what they did. We look for a rationale to point to. 
in our minds, in our psychology, our urge is to rationalize and come up with the reason as to why. Because the absence of that is so deeply unsettling to us psychologically, we can't accept it. But it is what it is. It's true that we live in an era of increased mental health crises, one after another. And our instinct is to rationalize and interpret these actions because that's our coping mechanism. We do not like to acknowledge that. It deeply unsettles us to acknowledge that sometimes we are simply looking into the face of evil. And I mentioned that on Wednesday. Evil is far more frightening than just a bad person. A bad person just has bad motivations. We can understand them a bit, and we can come to terms with the fact that the villain just took a wrong turn. But when there is just evil, we desperately seek the logic behind it. We try to find the reasons behind the evil acts a truly bad person commits. And when that person is just evil and we can't find any reasons behind it, that's unnerving. But that's what evil is. It exists for the purpose of existing, and that's it. It's a heavy topic, but we have to confront in our society. We're not healthy mentally, socially, culturally. We're not in a healthy place. When we've let go of our guiding lights, when we've let go of the idea that people we don't like or agree with are still human, we arrive at the point we're at right now. And that brings us to today. Around 2,000 years ago today, a supreme act of good was accomplished that was meant to help us through times like these. It's Good Friday. It's the day Jesus died on the cross. We celebrate this because it was the victory of God over death. As tragic as the death of Jesus Christ was, we celebrate his death because it was ultimately a victory over death and sin. In his greatest act on earth, Jesus brought us back into communion with God. But it only happened because his life on earth was diminished in the eyes of those who saw him as a threat. Evil exists. It was evil that turned Christ over to Pilate. It was evil that crucified him. But it was a sacrifice in the name of love that turned all those evil acts into redemption for the rest of us. 232-1542. We're going to take a break. I want to dive a little bit deeper into that here on this Good Friday edition of the Joe Cunningham Show right here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Glad to be with y'all on this Good Friday. A happy Good Friday and a happy Easter to everybody out there listening. Hopefully you guys have had a good Good Friday. Hopefully your kids are taking a well-deserved break during this uh, spring break time, and they will be returning to school, uh, not this coming Monday, but the next Monday, April 25th. So hopefully they'll get plenty of time to rest, but also catch up on their work because the school year, the end of the school year is approaching fast. Like I said, 232-1542, if you want to join in, I want to read a segment from my buddy Eric Erickson, who uh, every Good Friday, his radio show is solely focused on Good Friday. I'm I'm not an evangelical writer. I'm not a very good evangelical Christian. But there are sometimes I just kind of bring this stuff up because it fits into the larger theme of the day. Innocent of any crimes, Pilate tried to let the man go. 
but the crowd would not be placated, and Pilate decided to let the crowd choose between freeing Jesus or an insurrectionary named Barabbas. The crowd chose Barabbas. The Roman historian Tacitus later recorded that Christus, the founder of the name, had undergone the death penalty in the reign of Tiberius by sentence of the procurator Pontius Pilate, and the pernicious superstition of his divinity was checked for a moment. The Romans nailed Jesus of Nazareth to a cross. The Protestant reformer Martin Luther said that there on that cross, the greatest sinner that ever would live breathed his last and died. The sky went dark, the ground quaked. The curtain in the Jewish temple tore in half, most believing it was an act of vandal. The first person of the Trinity turned his back on the second person of the Trinity, and even the sun refused to shine on Christ as the sins of mankind, past, present, and future, were placed on him to satisfy God's wrath. The curtain tore because Emmanuel was with us. We no longer were separated from God by the veil. Christ restored us to God. It's important. All of this is important because evil, as I mentioned, exists. Jesus could have walked away from this. Most people forget this point. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he begged God to take the burden of what he would endure off his shoulders. It pained him. The weight of what he had to carry was unbearable, and he begged God to take it from him. In a moment of weakness, Jesus was terrified of his own future. On the cross, he cried out, asking God why he had abandoned him. These are very human moments of weakness, but ones that he endured because it was for the good of all. That one good, that one act restored all of us, including the ones who commit acts of evil into the world today. It allows for us to succumb to the darkness, or for those of us who succumb to the darkness, to find a path home in this life or the next. Make no mistake, the death of Jesus is a celebration because it was our salvation and it was victory over death and sin that was won that day. But redemption will not come if we as a society don't reinstitute a belief in the equality of life. And that is what is most painful about the political moment that we're in right now. We have devalued and dehumanized those that we're opposed to. those we disagree with. When we no longer see them as living equals, we're more likely to treat them as expendable. When you dehumanize or devalue somebody's life, you make the choice to kill someone a lot easier. They are expendable. How can Frank James open fire on people in a subway? He did not value them as human beings. He did not value them as equal. How could the evil of slavery that persisted all through world history and is one of the, the many pillars of shame of, the, of American history, one that we have tried so hard to overcome, how can slavery happen in the way it happened in the United States? It happens when you devalue the life of someone who's different. How can a man take a gun to a baseball field where Republicans are practicing for a congressional baseball game and open fire 
unless you did not see them as human because they were the enemy. How can abortion be viewed as a human right unless you've devalued the life of the child inside the womb? These are acts of evil. And they are evil because we have devalued the life that is attached to the person that we are seeking to destroy. The arguments for abortion are the same as the arguments for slavery. When you treat the slave or the fetus as property, when you do not give it the value of human life, you're more comfortable doing those things. And as a dark stain on our history as a society that we allow these things to happen. When you devalue life so much that you can talk yourself into driving a car through a Christmas parade, that's evil. You have devalued human life, and that is what evil is. Evil is the devaluation of life. It moves us beyond treating one another with kindness and equality. Evil devalues one life for the sake of another. And we live in a society that values the self over the other time and time and time again. But on this day, a little over 2,000 years ago, a man died on a cross, and that death was so impactful that we still talk about it today. It wasn't just some come-again cult that came and went with history. It has persisted. It is still the fastest-growing religion in the world because this one man did something extraordinary. He sacrificed himself to the mob. He sacrificed himself to evil to save all of the rest of us, those who believe in him and those who didn't, to save all the people of the world, past, present, and future, out of love. And he bore the sin that we're born with and the sin that we commit on his shoulders all to help us live. But that sacrifice is in vain when a society devalues human life for political reasons or for selfish reasons, for reasons of greed, lust, you name it. That is the great evil. Today, good wins. It is Good Friday. But that victory is moot if we don't start treating that victory as it was meant to be treated. Okay, with that, the heaviness of the hour is gone. When we get back from the break, we're going to talk a little bit about the politics of the day. I want to go over some poll numbers. Let's talk about where the Democrats are right now, because it's important for us to understand that the Democrats' biggest troubles right now are kind of tied into what I'm talking about here. When you value the self, when you value baser needs 
over the greater good. What you're doing is you're sacrificing your political advantages, and they've squandered all that, which is why the polling looks so bad for the Democrats right now. So we're going to jump into that. We're going to talk about that. What is the Biden administration doing and why is it so bad? Plus, a little bit more media bias from CNN that we've come across a little while ago. Going to talk about that here as well on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5 KPL. If you want to call in, 232-1542 when we get back from this break. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Glad to be with you all today. Happy Good Friday. Happy Easter. Hope you guys enjoy your Easter weekend. If you're traveling, be careful out there. Uh, we do have the traffic board pulled up, and right now a vehicle accident on northeast of Vangelin in Karen Crow, and a road hazard on Ambassador Caffrey uh, where it meets I-10. So be careful out there, especially as people get prepared to travel for the Easter holiday. The Biden administration still looking at extremely terrible numbers. The daily tracking poll uh, by Rasmussen uh, has him at 41% approval, 57% disapproval. So he's 16 points underwater there. Reuters Ipsos uh, earlier this week, 41 to 53, 12 points under the most friendly poll of the last couple weeks is the IBD poll, which has him at one point underwater. Uh, But that one is uh, polling... 1,300 Americans. And I think I've explained this before, but in case I haven't, when you you have three different designations, you can poll all voters, um, or you you can poll everybody, poll all. You can poll registered voters, and you can poll likely voters. Polling everybody is the least accurate. Because you don't know the voting trends. You don't know if if the people that you're uh, polling actually go out and vote regularly. You don't even know if they're registered to vote. You're just calling people. Registered voters is is not that accurate either. But it's a little more accurate because you're actually looking at people who are registered to vote. Likely voters, those are typically the money polls because these are people that you know are routinely going to the election sites and voting every year. So you know that they're the ones paying attention enough to go out and vote on what's important to them. The Rasmussen report is a likely voter poll. The Reuters one is uh, polling everybody. Economist YouGov poll, which uh, YouGov is typically an online poll, um, Registered voters has uh, Biden three points underwater, 46 to 49. None of the numbers are great. And the Quinnipiac poll from the other day had 20 points underwater, 35 to 55. I went over that one with you because that was the one that showed the absolutely catastrophic Hispanic poll numbers for the Biden administration. Things are still not looking good for the Biden administration. And there's no time really to turn it all around. You're going to get to the point where before too long, Congress is going on a summer recess. And they're going to start recessing more and more frequently, spend time with family. They also have to get out and start campaigning. Everybody in Congress has to go out there and start campaigning. You're running out of time to pass anything meaningful for Congress to run on, for Democrats of Congress to run on. So the Biden administration is deep in trouble. Right now, his average at Real, at Real Clear Politics is about 12 points under, about 40 to 52 
uh, approval to disapproval. It's not good. <clears throat> Across the board, Democrats are struggling and they are failing to pick up on any good issues. All of the issues that get polled on the Republicans are favored on right now. Which leads me back to the Elon Musk Twitter thing. Right now, Twitter is saying they've adopted a poison pill to prevent a hostile takeover from Elon Musk. All good and dandy or whatever. I told you guys the other day, chances are Elon Musk isn't actually going to buy Twitter. Um, but he is going to make a profit off of it. The DNC, the Democratic National Committee, is pushing its recommendations for combating online misinformation. This has become the latest drumbeat of the Democratic Party to really push to censor the people who are saying things they don't like. And that's why the prospect of Elon Musk buying Twitter freaked a lot of Democrats out. You had Mika Brzezinski on MSNBC this morning saying, well, if Elon Musk buys Twitter, then it's a chance for him to publish whatever he wants. There's no content management. It'll you know, convince other people what to think. And that's our job. She actually said that. But that is what the media thinks their job is. The media thinks their job is to be the gatekeepers. There is, in the, in the academic world of communication, there is a theory called agenda setting. And agenda setting theory is the idea that um, news outlets are the ones who choose the stories that are important. And you are you understand the importance of stories because the news media has presented them to you as what's most important. So anything the news media ignores is clearly not important because they're not covering it. It is in itself kind of propaganda-ish. Agenda-setting theory has ballooned to this kind of gatekeeping theory where the media presents to you the information they want to present to you and they actively push to censor or stomp down on the information they think you don't need. But now they're putting it under the label of misinformation. You hear Brian Stelter shout about it all the time. Here's the thing. The Democrats are preparing legislation on this issue. But the Democrats have also been ready to join in on multiple bipartisan bills in the House and Senate. And uh, the Media Research Center, Newsbusters, um, they cover media bias. And they have put out a story saying all of this is raising red flags for bipartisan tech bills. And if you've listened to me over the last few months, you've heard me say we should be raising red flags a lot earlier than today. Nothing good can come from Democrats legislating about social media because they want to control the narrative. And the big tech companies are generally aligned with that. If you don't believe me that this push for Section 230 and everything that the Republicans are calling for and the Democrats are agreeing to is actually bad for you and me, consider that Twitter and Facebook are also on board with it because Twitter and Facebook can handle that. Twitter and Facebook can handle whatever comes their way 
in terms of legal fees, in terms of fines, in terms of content moderation. They could just hire more people and do it all. They're fine with doing that. But what if you want competition for Twitter or Facebook? You can't afford the legal fines. You can't afford the fees. You can't afford the lawyers to fight this sort of thing. You can't afford to hire people who are focused strictly on content moderators for the thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people that may join your service. It keeps competition out of the marketplace. And if you hear Republicans talking about this bipartisan bill to end Section 230 or to rein in the tech companies, you should be really worried that the Republicans are making a mistake there because they are allowing the Democrats to get their hands on the big tech companies and on the public square. 232-1542, when we come back, well, a couple things to talk about. First of all, why is In-N-Out Burger a place of sin and damnation? We'll talk about that and other topics here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL, y'all. In-N-Out Burger is now a place of sin and damnation. Why? They've introduced a, a tomato wrap option to their burgers. So rather than getting a bun that's filled with carbs and whatnot, you can just have tomatoes be the bun. It seems like just a more efficient way for tomatoes to sow absolute chaos on your burgers and sandwiches. Instead of the tomatoes sli- uh, forcing everything to slide out from the bun, everything just slides out right there. That seems horrible. Just get it without the bun. Just eat the the patty, the 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 vegetables, everything with a fork. Just do that. Yeah. It has to be. Wait, wait. Let me say that so it's on your gets on your broadcast. It has to be a sun dried tomato burger. But sun dried. Wouldn't you think sun dried tomatoes are too small when they when they dry they shrivel up. They're they're too small to okay. be a bun. Okay. All right. I'll have to investigate. You do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to pay any attention to anything. that if, if somebody hands me, they say it's a burger, and they give me tomatoes on either side of the patty, and they call it a bun, I'm done. I'm not, I'm not eating at that establishment. Another establishment that I think has lost its mind is the National Council of Teachers of English. They have released a statement uh, calling for us to decenter, means unemphasize, book reading and essay writing as the pinnacles of English language arts and education. Speaking and listening are increasingly valued as forms of expression that are vital to personal and professional success. And with the rise of digital media technologies, they now occur in both synchronous and asynchronous formats. The ability to represent one's ideas using images and multimedia is now a valued competency in a wide array of professional careers in the content, uh, in the knowledge economy. It behooves our profession as stewards of the communication arts to confront and challenge the tacit and implicit ways in which print media is valorized above the full range of literacy competency students should master. This is a horrible idea, and here's why. Yes, multimedia, the digital space, all of that has made communication a much more uh, diverse field. But on social media, you can't write things without words. And a picture may be worth a thousand words, but if you don't know any words, then how are you going to express what that picture is supposed to be saying? 
writing is the pinnacle of communication because writing is how we've tracked the growth and development of our communication, the growth and development of the language going from spoken to a written format so that everybody could learn it is what makes writing such a valuable central part to communication. And we can have an argument over book reading and essay writing, but the only way kids learn to use words properly is to see them and use them in a proper verbal context again and again and again. They need to be able to write. They need to be able to write long form. If they cannot organize their thoughts into a long form essay, you cannot expect them to organize their thoughts meaningfully enough to speak them out. They can jot down notes on a note card and they can give a pretty speech, but ask any speech giver out there. They have stuff written down. They have long form speeches that they practice. They may have note cards with some ideas on them. They may be able to spin off from that. That's people who are really in practice, people who have been doing it for decades. You can't expect a kid to be able to get away with that in the communication arts. It's not a good idea. We need to keep the focus. I'm not saying that everything has to be an essay or everything has to be book reading. I'm not saying we, we need to go back to doing daily oral language in the classroom and focus on grammar, although that is important. That needs to be reemphasized just a little bit. I used to teach English. It is my contention that the only way you get better at English is to learn to write it and write it a lot. You should be writing nearly all the time if you want to get better at writing and language in general. You have to see how the words work and go together. If you're not seeing that, then you're making a major mistake. You're not learning the language properly. But this is part of a larger movement in education to equitize everything, to make everything equitable so that people will feel less insecure about their own lack of performance in the classroom. There's, this, there's actually a book on racial injustice in math called Multiplication is for White People. And it talks about the inequities of education for black students. There are full fields of study about the racial injustice of the classroom. And yes, there are some things we need to do to make education more equitable. But just eliminating a focus on writing is not it. If you cannot write, you cannot express ideas. And if you cannot express ideas, you're not going to be successful in education. And folks, I think that's going to be it for me for today and for the weekend. I hope you guys have a fantastic Easter. It's been an honor to be with you guys this week. We'll be back next week here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPL.